Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast that polishes the paranormal so we can wax on about the strange and the unexplained. Do you like that one, Ben? I've worked hard on that one. (laughs) I do do like that. I wasn't expecting that at all. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. You carry on. Yeah, we're going to set that that gauntlet down every week. Um, (laughs) So I wanted uh, before we get, I know you've got a great episode for us today. Before we get into it, I've got to start with an apology. I have to apologise. Uh, last week we did an episode on um, eccentric Englishmen and I mentioned the Reverend Robert Hawker from Cornwall. So if you remember, Ben, uh, I said in the episode that in the 1800s he spent every night for a week on a rock off the Cornish coast wearing nothing but oil skins on his bottom half. Oh, yes, yes. And a green wig of seaweed on his yes, head. Yes, I do remember this, yes. He was barking at the moon, and for his finale at the end of the week, he sung the British National Anthem. Right, Do you remember yes. that? Yeah, of course I do. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't forget it. How he could reminded you me of my him? grandparents. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing in that statement was inaccurate, and I have to apologise for it. Oh, no, it wasn't the green hair, was it? <laughs> Weirdly... He wasn't singing the British National Anthem. Apparently, since I've done a little bit more research, he was singing a song called Trelawney, which is widely regarded as the Cornish National Anthem. Ah, okay. But even weirder, and I can't believe my research didn't find this out for the episode last week, not only was he singing what's widely regarded as the Cornish National Anthem... He wrote it. <laughs> what? He wrote it. He wrote Trelawney. Um, yeah. One of another of his eccentric achievements was writing what's widely regarded as the Cornish National Anthem. I've read the lyrics. It's basically, in my mind, a bit of a call for Cornish independence from mm-hmm. the English, from the British. So, um, yeah, he wrote it. Wow. Well... So, so I felt like I had to apologise because I, I was trying to think of this in terms of, you know, our listeners uh, not in the UK. I'm trying to think what it would... I guess it would be like saying that the Lone Star State is New Hampshire, right? Right, <laughs> Rather yeah, than yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, kind of like that, right? Yeah, when you go to that part of the world, there is definitely... Um, it's it's very friendly, but there is definitely a local, you know, it is is a nation in its in its own right. Yeah, I yeah. believe they call those of us who uh, travel down from England grockles. I think that's the the yeah. local term, right. which I, I don't think is rude. It's it's the equivalent of um, muggles in Harry Potter. Right. But yeah, well, they de- they have a very distinct culture and language and stuff, and perhaps that isn't respected as much as it should be. Yeah. But maybe it's all a, all a wild plan. That this whole story about this uh, this Reverend Robert Hawker might all just be fake news. So us English go down there wearing green seaweed on our heads. Go, go. <laughs> We're just trying to fit in. Just trying to fit in with everyone. 
Well, so, uh, yes, he did do all of the other things I said, but he didn't sing the British National Anthem. He sang what was kind of known as the Cornish National Anthem, which he wrote. And and just to be clear, is that now adopted as the Cornish National Anthem amongst the locals? Is it respected I, I, as such? I, I think it is... It, you know, I don't think if you, you went to the... I don't know whether you would. If you, I was going to say, I don't think if you went to the Cornish Museum, it would be down as the National Anthem. It's widely regarded, I think, by proud and loyal Cornish people as the National Anthem of Cornwall. Well, if there's any proud and uh, Cornish people out there who uh, can uh, let us know whether we've got that fact right, because I'd hate to do an apology after doing an apology. Oh, I'll, be apolo- I'll be apologising every week. Well, this could turn into the apology cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Look, yeah. Uh, the, when uh, me and my partner, when we go down that part of the world our main fixation is the first place we go to get a traditional pasty and for anybody not from this this country if you haven't come across a cornish pasty i it's sort of like it's it's like a turnover pie so it's a pastry and it's filled with meat and potatoes and it's a very specific sweet swede sorry yes and it's a very specific recipe to that part of the world and it is one of oh it's delicious one of my favorite things absolutely in like the best thing is when you're on like a little boat out in the sea sort of going somewhere in that part of the world and you've got an oven hot cornish pasty in your hand preferably two really because one's (laughs) never enough Oh, it's, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. It really is the best feeling in the world. It is indeed. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to clear that up before we got into the episode, but uh, let's move on to other things, don't you think? Okay, so today we're going to talk about mysterious radio transmissions. Oh, yeah. And so the first thing I'm going to do is play you this montage of particularly weird radio that you can hear on shortwave so have a listen to this There's some strange stuff there, Ben. There is some strange (laughs) stuff there. So what you've listened to there is a number of peculiar radio stations that um, mostly we don't know the origin to, although a couple we do. But um, 
some of those. So what what you heard was the backwards music station. These are all what they're. they're and, and this is still you can still listen to this live now. Can yeah, you, can yeah, you, find you can. It? Yeah. So the backwards music station, the <laughs> buzzer, the Lincolnshire poacher, and the woodpecker. So the woodpecker is the one that you can't listen to now. Right. But the woodpecker was something. It was one of the very first things. So. My family, and um, particularly my father, is um, it, like the the family business is radio. So I grew up in in the sphere of of knowing about these things, and the woodpecker was one of the first things that my dad showed me, or uh, on on our sort of family radio in the wireless. in the kitchen. Wireless, <laughs> yeah, wireless. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a very wholesome thing. Yeah. I was in short trousers. I'm he was pa- having a pipe. Yeah. I'm picturing it with massive dials and and, and what do you call them? Like you know, little uh, little valves and stuff going on. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, um, some of these stations are what you would know as uh, well you may know they're called number stations so a number station is what so they come from all over the the world they like russia basically is credited with inventing them but the uh the one that you would have heard called the lincolnshire poacher that is supposedly a british number station and these are frequencies that broadcast you know pretty freely around the world i mean not pretty freely absolutely freely on shortwave and medium wave all around the world and they contain codes but what it what it is that they are pushing out in terms of codes is so sophisticated it's really really hard to break so you get all of these uh, signals coming in and you can hear what sounds like particularly in the case of say the backwards music station and the buzzer the first uh, two clips that you will have heard those can those do have patterns in them and so they do have uh, you know the, there is an intrinsic code in them uh, okay. but so it's not but, just playing stuff backwards there is there's a no message no being no it's sent. called the backwards music station because it sounds like that but it isn't really there is there is some code going on wow but um those those codes are so random they are almost impossible to break but this is just one theory on what those things are it's possible i was going to say there's none of those that you can say it's it's point is this out of the ones you've uh, mentioned. no exactly no no so we think so i will i think the exception is probably the woodpecker but most of them they are these peculiar weird sounds that you can find with a home transmitter and i think that is uh kind of like the the joy and all also the mysteriousness in this because when I was when, when I, I suppose when I was 15 16 there's no such thing as the the internet yeah. and the closest you get to is a shortwave radio and people that listen to shortwave radios they call themselves 
DXs. DX means uh, listening for distant transmissions. That's the, the DX. And back in like the late 80s and early 90s, you would have a huge plethora. You would have everything from, you know, Voice of America. Uh, you'd have channels coming in all over from all over Europe. And, and you get this peculiar effect where um, shortwave stations travel really, really well. So you get the British World Service on shortwave so you can listen to for example the indian version of the british world service on shortwave in the middle of the night all the way through the night but if you're listening on uh medium wave on am because of the uh the ionosphere and the way the ionosphere works and and this would be uh, particularly applicable and noticeable to people who, for example, in the UK, listen to Radio Luxembourg. You could listen to Radio Luxembourg happily during the day, but as soon as nighttime came, it was pointless having the transmission because the ionosphere, after it doesn't have light on it, it doesn't uh, transmit the signal so well. So you you end up not being able to hear it. So you have all of these peculiar radio stations popping up all over the place on shortwave and medium wave playing these really peculiar strange signals and you really have to wonder what they're for because some of them will transmit perfectly happily day and night others on the am frequency will will only work uh during the day okay so the buzzer which is the second sample that you heard is also known by its sort of semi-official name as uvb 76 and that does broadcast on shortwave between 4625 and 4810 kilohertz and it broadcasts this short monotonous buzz tone and it does this uh, 25 tones per minute, 24 hours a day. But occasionally, and occasionally, this voice trans, uh, this uh, noise transmission is interrupted by a voice. Uh, it started sometime in the 70s. Its initial broadcast date is open to interpretation and, you know, debate. But it certainly started in the 70s uh and what we get is with this sort of uh repeated rhythm of the the buzzer and then very occasionally and this voice only started happening since the 90s so this is sort of at the end of the cold war the it's very very hard to work out what this thing is before because it seems like the uh, the pattern repeats so often that it may not have a hidden code within it. Now, that's not to say it doesn't, because it's possible the code is hidden so well that it's not spotted. But one of the most intriguing, and I think sort of, um, I don't know, scary ideas is that this was a, a dead hand signal. So if that this was like a last resort. If this signal went off air, it right. meant that 
Russia had been attacked by presumably American missiles right. and it would be the dead hand to signal uh, Russian submarines who could no longer hear it to launch a retaliatory strike. Okay. That's interesting. And, and, can, and, can, can I ask a couple of questions about the bomb? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Just, just so I'm clear, because there's some amazing stuff here. So the buzzer buzzer's origin in terms of the signal is in Russia. Yes. We think. Yes. And it started in the 1970s. Yes. And it plays the same basic sound sounds. Yes. Re- on repeat constantly. Yes. yes. Since the 1970s. And it still doing that today? It's still doing that today, yes. yes. And you're saying in the 90s, suddenly a, a Russian voice? A Russian voice, yeah, yeah. Came so in it, for just, what, short periods of time? or Yeah, short periods of time. And this voice has been known to uh, read out numbers. There's a famous time when it seems like there was a some sort of an accident in transmission and you could hear people wandering around in the background and there was a it seemed like an off-air conversation uh about uh something coming from a generating machine but this is like there's nothing that you could particularly hang your hat on yes there is there is a voice that occasionally reads out numbers yeah and and it's it's also played music this station has also played uh, I believe Tchaikovsky was right. uh, a track that was played out. But, but my, po- my point is, since 1970 to now, right? Yeah. So, what, f- over 50 years, this thing has been broadcasting and voices and sometimes changing. So somebody is yes. managing it, <laughs> controlling it, Yes. Putting it out, which suggests it's got a purpose. It must have a purpose, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it must have a purpose. Because, and, because and, if it was just a kind of a trick or a joke or, a, you know, something a bit quirky, it's not going to last for 50 years. Do you know what I mean? Is it? No, no, exactly right. And and this is the this is the thing about it. This is what kind of... It's that unknown purpose that makes it so... I don't know if spooky is the right word, but so enigmatic. And I think that's why it falls into the realm of the paranormal for me, because, yes, it obviously does have a human background to it, and there is obviously a reason for it, because these things don't come cheaply to broadcast something that is so powerful. Yeah, I was going to ask that question. What do you need? Yeah, you need a big transmitter. And it's it doesn't happen by accident. But this constant transmission of this peculiar, weird noise is is an oddity. And because we don't know what it is, I think that puts it into the sort of slightly arm hair raising yeah, yeah. territory. Because it, it it literally could be for anything. It could just be you know, at, at at one end of the spectrum, it could just be, for example, for Russian diplomats 
around the world to avoid having to go through, you know, local communication systems. Or, or being listened to. Or being, yes, exactly. So some, but, someone's got a, a cipher the other end and is yes, decoding yes. it, basically. Yes, we know, like, when you look into these things, it is possible to to build a cipher off of uh, almost anything. So I, I have come across evidence that some of these Russian number stations, they would take, say, background noise from a local street and they would turn that into a cipher because it's so random. If you give the... If you create a cipher off noises of cars and dogs and footsteps and then you give... You you turn that into a cipher and then you give that to your recipient and then you broadcast what it is you're trying to say, then it's so impossible to crack because there's just, there's no uh, there's no pattern in it whatsoever, and that is a traditional spy thing and that would avoid you using telephones and stuff like that. So that that kind of uh, makes you know makes a lot of sense, but. But some of these, since the end of the Cold War, we do know what they're for. So the one that I had known, like, because I said my father showed it to me, is the woodpecker. And that is the um, the last signal that you heard in that, that montage. Back in the 80s, when it was first played to me, everybody thought that it was a way of um, Russia blocking radio signals from the West. So it appeared, it was so powerful, and that knocking noise. And and when you moved a radio uh, through your AM band, you would always get it at one end or the other, but it would also be invasive across just normal radio channels that you were trying to listen to, you would be sometimes drowned out by the woodpecker. And that was particularly evident with uh, particular weather patterns, which meant that the the signal went further. But we found out after the end of the Cold War that this was part of a Soviet over-the-horizon radar, an OTH system, which was designed to uh, be an early warning uh, attack radar. So the it went online in July 1976, and it carried on until the very early part of 1990. So it was going for a good old time. And, and can you give me an, an idiot guy? How does that system work? Is that possible to post it? No. Uh, yeah. Okay. So basically, what you've got is a really, really enormous broadcast array. So the the, the NATO term for so there there are two arrays that are responsible for the woodpecker, and one of them is in Chernobyl, and that's how we know that uh, we know we know about this because after the chernobyl uh, example and then um ukraine pulling away from um the soviet republic that's how 
we know about these things. Yeah. So this, so this is um, the Sov- the the NATO name for this is the Steel Yard because it's such an enormous array. Imagine something as high as a tower block and three times as wide, but it's just aerials. Yeah. Or, or transmitters. That's what this thing looks like. It's absolutely enormous. And what it's doing is broadcasting a very wide signal band and listening for responses. So what it is doing, it, 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 what it's trying to do is get the signal. The reason it uses the frequency it does is because it's using the reflection of the ionosphere to go around the curvature of the Earth. So in the West to get the um, early warning systems. We've got those AWACS planes, which anybody who was a child of the 80s will remember. Those are like big jet planes with huge circular dishes on the top, and they fly over Europe, and they're looking for Russian missile launches. This is, you know, this is Cold War paranoia. But the Russians aren't using that, AWACS flying system they're using this uh, radar system and what they're doing is trying to send radar signals using the the curvature of the earth and uh, the ionosphere to bounce the signals around and listen for signals coming back and from that they're extrapolating whether they right. are under attack but the so, signals... so us being able to listen to it as the woodpecker is a byproduct of that rather than its purpose yeah yeah absolutely yeah no it's 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 purpose it turns out it wasn't to block western radio it was literally to detect incoming uh nukes basically it wasn't a code it was just the noise that this thing made that you managed to be able to pick up yes that yes the woodpecker is not a numbers station the woodpecker is is simply Uh, a radar but what what is kind of interesting about it so like um when uh, when my dad showed it to me it was kind of seen as a bit of an annoyance because it it sort of interfered with so many different radios and i i didn't know about this but it turns out that there were a number of uh, radio receiver manufacturers who built in woodpecker blankers into their circuit designs. <laughs> so you would that would be a sales point that they would be, you know, the, the whole uh, circuit was designed wow. to block out this. So I found an advert for the um, Daytong model SRB2 auto woodpecker blanker. <laughs> and the, the idea of this is it's a radio designed to listen to stations from around the world but it automatically suppresses the the woodpecker signal uh which whichever one of the frequencies it decides to broadcast on on that day i just had this horrible feeling though the first time somebody bought one and used it there's somebody at the russian array going we're under attack we're under attack <laughs> our signal's been blocked look it would be ironic if a little kind of radio manufacturer was responsible for world war three wouldn't it <laughs> yeah it would like it was it was a peculiar time and like literally after 
the like the reason that we know about this really goes back to the chernobyl disaster because that is when things started falling apart and when western aid went in to help with you know the the recovery operation you like that's when nato discovers like this thing they call the steelworks and it's obvious what's going on and like it's not even that nefarious really like it seems perfectly acceptable like you've got you've got an an array to look out for missile attack the other one by the way the other array that was broadcasting in woodpecker was in siberia so they're kind of doing their 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 flanks their north north northern and western flanks with it um but it's also quite a, a it's not a very advanced technology so <laughs> like it could have caused a terrible disaster unwittingly right because you know if because because we in the west didn't know what it was we didn't know that it was uh, an over the horizon radar system if we had, for example, sent in, I don't know, like I, I don't, I don't know how it works, but maybe like three spy planes in yeah. formation, yeah, yeah, like it could have thought that those were were missiles, maybe, and yeah, it could have been, it could have been the end of the world. It could have been terrifying. So that that what the woodpecker that was the last one that we heard on your list. Yes. Um, and so that one's no longer available because the the chernobyl thing the array went down and that one was as we said was the kind of byproduct sound of this radar system well yes are, are all the other ones the other three are they all transmitting codes is that the theory uh so the very first one the backwards music station uh yes the theory is that that is codes the buzzer we've talked about the the third one which is uh called the lincolnshire poacher which i i really love that is that's a british number station apparently and the lincolnshire poacher is a british folk song and it's not known exactly where this comes from but it is thought to be first broadcast from bletchley park which is kind of close to us just outside milton Keynes, yeah in the 1970s and then moved to uh raf acrotiri i think it's called in cyprus Um, and the lincolnshire poacher tune is kind of its call sign which is such an incredibly british thing to do but <laughs> yes it, it is clearly a number station because after you get the lincolnshire poacher tune which i think is incredibly haunting i think it's really strange <laughs> to get this sort of bon tempi keyboard <laughs> signal coming through the airwaves and then you get this weird noise afterwards which is kind of like if you listened into a fax machine in the early 90s
so it was it was Russia that kind of came up with these this number station idea because like they're brilliant at their spy craft and we were doing different things um but there's there's one which oh, this is great so there's a there's a number station which is given the nickname by dxers so remember dxers are the people who uh, listen in their hobby is listening into uh worldwide transmissions right. there's one called yosemite sam right. and its first recorded transmission date is december the 19th 2004 so it's really recent as well right. which I, I find intriguing because i would have thought all of this would have moved somewhere else it, it would yeah. be legacy yeah yeah but no so this is a new thing and it broadcasts on this one is shortwave frequencies so shortwave travels much further than vhf and it has uh it uses something called dual sideband so dual sideband it's a technical term it means that it travels further and it uses at least four signals and the reason that it is called uh yosemite sam is because Every seven seconds after the top of the hour, in a data burst which lasts 0.8 of a second, it broadcasts Yosemite Sam off of the cartoons, shouting, Varman, I'm going to blow you to smithereens. And this particular sample of this cartoon character it has been traced to coming from a 1949 cartoon by uh, Mary Melodies, which is now owned by Warner Brothers. Uh, it's a cartoon called Bunker Hill Bunny. So it's a it, it's a, it's a Bugs Bunny thing. Right. And in interesting, to- it's got the word bunker in there as well. It's all conspiracy theory ready, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. And. So what's really interesting is and and it, it it's it's fascinating that you say that there's there's something hidden in there. So two amateur radio operators from New Mexico went to try and track down where this was coming from. And in February 2005 they decided that it was coming from a place called the Mobility Assessment Test and Integration Center, which is in New Mexico and it is part of the U.S. military. But it's from a factory owned by Laguna Industries. Now, Laguna Industries is a subcontractor of the U.S. military. But this particular destination is slightly southwest of Albuquerque. And this is this is where this thing like you could you could literally go down a rabbit hole. And I say the pun on purpose because the Bugs Bunny catchphrase in 1948, when he is being hunted by any one of his uh, nemeses, is yes, (laughs) I knew I should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. (laughs) <laughs> and it's so there seems to be like an in joke wow. within this this particular number station which i find particularly b- 
bizarre. And, um, slight, and slightly foolish as well. Yeah, it is slightly foolish. Now, this after this, uh, these people started tracking this station, the transmissions ceased. Okay. Although the reason I say that you can still hear it is because other people have claimed that that isn't the case. And the original four or five frequencies that it was going out on appear to have broadened and other people say that they have heard right. this this station uh, otherwise. So it it feels like what what they've done is the, it, it's obviously like if those two researchers are accurate it's coming from a military installation and there is some sort of data being broadcast alongside this sort of comical thing and and the reason for the the comedy voice is is probably largely either to disguise the data that is hidden within it but also to provide like a call sign that yes, people like an, know. I, an identifier. An, so an identifier, yeah. So when yeah. you're scrolling through the band, you hear, you're going to scroll through that, yeah. Because I guess, the, well, I was going to say the signal doesn't change, but it does if they have to move it, right? Uh, well, yeah. So, yeah, for some reason they have to move it. And, yeah. like, all of this stuff, all of it isn't clear. And it's probably down to you know there's probably a broadcast schedule somewhere that this means something mm. to some people for and one of the reasons could be because of different times of the day shortwave being uh m more strongly received on different wave bands than right. others it could be that or it could be that the actual frequency that's being broadcast on forms part of the code that is incorporated in it so if you hear it on this band then you use this decipher. If you hear it on this band, you use this decipher. If you see what I mean, there's so, there's probably something much more complex going on. So how long? I mean, I know there are examples of this in World War Two, right? There there were lots of yeah. signals created that way. Um, so it's interesting to know: has it been around since radio has been around? Well, yeah, or pretty much. So, so like, I think it takes on different forms so we know that number stations formed part of like the world war one effort but they were largely um do i want to say more innocent they were largely simpler affairs and the codes within them were like morse codes or um people reading things out because shortwave radio it's it's been around for for many many years and as with you know a lot of technology war and conflict is the mother of invention yeah. and world war one brought around this creation of these uh these number stations whether they were for you know the uh the allies or the enemy each had their own purpose for it but you also get like it they aren't just encoded things like we think of today that social media has kind of like brought something different into the political discussion in that it peddles 
you know, false information and propaganda and those are the things that people like Facebook and Twitter yeah. are railing against. But if you look back at the Second World War, the the Germans were really, really good at creating uh, radio stations aimed at the West and very specifically the UK, which were carrying misinformation. So I'm pretty sure you will have heard of Lord Haw Haw. So he was a uh, a British person who like had a lot of sympathy for the Nazis, defected to the Nazis, and would broadcast anti-British and anti-Allied arguments over the airwaves every evening from different transmitters in occupied Europe aimed at the UK. So there has there is a long and sort of patterned history of using radio for spying and nefarious things and also propaganda as well as obviously it's brilliant and like celebrated history of uh, doing things, you know, like the pirate station, Radio Caroline, yeah. bringing pop music to the UK, which wasn't being played. Um, Radio Luxembourg, which wasn't a pirate station, but was a, like, I think that's probably the first example of a European radio station broadcasting popular culture into the UK. They, these are all really positive things. But then, just like the internet, we have these very nefarious things going on as well but you couldn't it was funny because i as you were talking i was thinking okay where does this stuff move on to and i started thinking are there any number podcasts out there but then again you think internet podcasts it's not it's not i guess the the beauty of this as a system that you're talking about is it's pretty difficult to block right yeah it's, it's almost impossible to block and it's uh, almost impossible. Well, it is impossible to know who's listening to it because you can the, cut off the internet to a place or a country. That's right. You know, that's right. But you can't cut off these airwaves, right? No, that's Radio right. Waves. And, and, and also, like particularly, well, on shortwave and medium wave frequencies, you don't even need to have what you would call a radio set. You can build a crystal radio set, which doesn't even need power, which I think I'm not sure if kids still build those, but this was something that we always did in primary school. And you can build a really simple circuit with a tuning capacitor and an earpiece, and you can listen to radio stations from all around the world without having even a battery. And the the components are so small, you could, you know, conceivably you could fit them down. Well, yeah, you could you you could put them down the hole in a packet of polos. Right. I mean, they're they're they're, they're almost uh, undetectable, particularly in the past. But now, if you like, I could I was trying to imagine like where you would use these, and I can understand like there is still obviously a cold war going on, even though people uh, don't admit to it. But if you are say an agent embedded with a terrorist group say you're working on behalf of the british government embedded into isis in syria for example like you can't easily get batteries without exposing yourself as who you are 
So having the having a really simple yet undetectable cipher that you can work against and being able to assemble a small crystal radio out of components that you can hide you know in in the bottom of a can of coke essentially that enables you to listen to orders and information and command from your handlers it it makes a lot more sense because i think in our world we think well you know why you know everyone's got a smartphone why would you not just log on using some sort of code and you get an encrypted message but if you're in that situation that ain't going to be possible because you're going to expose yourself and you'll be killed you you need something much more basic but really reliable and i think that's probably what these things are but it's it's an interesting concept though isn't it it's like you know if the future of media was digital is the future of kind of spying analog is quite interesting. Yeah, no, it is. It is. But I, I think it's like what makes it, what made me bring this onto the podcast is just because of its, as I said, its peculiar mm. nature. And like, again, as I say, I don't think it's paranormal, but it's so spooky because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Well, no... it, I think like a lot of the paranormal stories we cover, you know, you just listen to the concepts around it and you all kinds of things go through your head. And, and your woodpecker one is a really good example of that, isn't it? That people's minds were going crazy about oh, what yeah. it was. And actually it was a completely different explanation, just as kind of bizarre, but just a, a different explanation. I, oh. I, wonder, I wonder now... These still these things obviously still exist at the moment and are still broadcasting out there. Um, what what kind of numbers are we talking about? How, how many of these things are there? Are we talking handfuls? Are we talking hundreds? Are we talking thousands? We're we're, we're talking tens, right? Like I've I've obviously covered like a small handful, but they're they're not there isn't a huge number, but there are also like you can't it's it i think it's a hard question to answer because from what i have seen there is also a a small number of stations that come up they pop up on a particular frequency and they'll be there for 10 minutes and they'll disappear and they'll never come back again and so it, it the what we're talking about here are like established sort of broadcast stations there are still other stations which come and go and intermittent broadcasts yeah yeah. absolutely and and that isn't particularly surprising because with the advent of you know the internet and satellites and stuff that like back when i was you know a, a child with my my shortwave radio uh, with my earpiece in at, at night when my parents had gone to bed with my big aerial traveling around the world on on my my radio and listening to different services that sort of thing it does still slightly exist you've got kind of like the voice of america and you've got uh you've got a bit of like china doing some broadcasting you've got some french but the bbc world service has disappeared off shortwave because they got other 
uh, they've got other ways of distribution. And so you've got quite a clear spectrum for these things to pop up. Like the reason that the woodpecker was so uh, powerful in terms of the British psyche and certainly the reason why my dad introduced me to it was because like back in the late 80s you know fm was hardly a thing people listened on medium wave so whether you were listening to radio one or whether you were listening to a pirate radio station that had popped up in your local vicinity and there would have been a load more of them back then than there are now even yeah the the woodpecker often came and trampled all over that frequency and so you were much more exposed to it and the fact that you were exposed to it and you knew that it was a signal coming from russia and you knew that there was this cold war on the go it it, people like dad wasn't making stuff up when he said that he when he told me that it was a um a way of blocking the bbc from transmitting to russia it was it was a like a truly believed thought and a very credible one because russia was did not appreciate the bbc world service broadcasting western ideology into the soviet union well and also there was there was something going on right (laughs) yeah there was something going on yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. i mean like in, in a way the fact that it was a early warning missile array is both (laughs) but it's it's like a it's a less sinister but more horrible explanation in a way is well i'm i'm struck by um was it the buzzer the one that you were saying that there's a theory that it's one of those that if the broadcast stops yes it's yeah dead hand yeah 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 i mean that that i find incredibly spooky concept because you think there is so much that could go wrong in that scenario, isn't there? Uh, yes, yes. Well, you know, there is uh, like there is a rumour, although I can't believe it's true, but there is a rumour that um, British nuclear submarines put their aerials up and check that they can still hear the British World Service right. because if they can't, that is our equivalent of dead of man's that. hand because I, I remember I, I think there was something similar to this in lost wasn't there do you remember the tv series lost now i'm sh- pretty sure there was a code in there and somebody had to press the code in every hour or something catastrophic was gonna happen and i well I, I wonder if it's almost uh it was a concept that spilled out from some of these some of the things we're talking about today yeah well Look, before we leave the the radio and its peculiarity, what what we've been listening to is uh, and talking about are what we believe are state owned sort of uh, if you'll pardon the pun under the radar broadcasts. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about this broadcast. So this is something that was picked up by two amateur radio engineers in Italy in 1961. Um, we'll pay, play you the clip in a minute. But Achille and Giovanni were two, I guess you would say that they were highly regarded radio engineers from Italy, even though they were, um, they did this 
they did their radio work as a bit of a hobby. But they decided to listen in to what the Russians were up to. And they listened to the launch of Sputnik. So, you, as I'm sure everybody is aware, the space race between the Soviets and the West, and really when I say the West, I mean America, it was, it's, it was a proxy war, really. And the first people to, in inverted commas, conquer space were going to be the winners. That is why the Americans spent so much on sending somebody to the moon. But what these guys were doing was listening in to the unpublicized transmissions coming from Russian space missions. And don't forget, the Russians would, like, this is, like, I think probably Russia is closed down again now. We had a brief period of perestroika sort of in the 90s. But these people are listening in to things that the Russians would not publicize because they they were tests and quite often they went wrong. So these these two, um, they claim that they had uh, recorded the, um, the launch of Sputnik and Sputnik produced a sort of, um, I'm sure everyone's heard it, it's kind of like become... Uh, a like movie a beep, isn't it it's a beep yeah yeah it's become a meme in movies for yeah. like what satellites sound like yeah um but these two said that they had recorded the heartbeat of Laika, the um the russian dog that they put into space which right. i personally um find slightly heartbreaking that was on um sputnik 2 uh to uh the behind the scenes conversations with yuri gagarin who is supposedly the first person who uh orbited the earth from the soviet union um but they also picked up this signal as i say in 1961 have a listen to this I don't know what she was saying, Ben, but she did sound terribly distressed on that clip. So what's going on there? So... If what those two brothers are saying is correct, the the translation is certainly correct. This is supposedly a early manned mission with a female cosmonaut, right. and right. she is she is talking. So, so there's quite there's quite a lot of emotion in her voice, and I think it's quite hard to listen to. But what she's talking about is she's seeing flames. She's feeling hot. She's worried that what she's doing is dangerous. And she's also concerned that nobody is talking back to her. And so what what is supposedly happening here is this is a an unencrypted transmission that 
it, it, it wouldn't be surprising that it was unencrypted because it would be on a frequency that perhaps people weren't right. monitoring. Although I find it strange. It's quite that, hard to think that would be the case, isn't it? It is quite hard to think that would be the case. But these these two guys say that this is a a genuine transmission. And what's kind of interesting is, like, obviously, obviously, the Soviet Union are not going to admit that they have lost yeah. somebody but it would be absolutely within their um their way of thinking that l- like that their uh communist agenda at the time was you know in terms of equality between men and women was fairly forward thinking so there's absolutely yeah, yeah. no reason why yeah astronauts had to be men in Russia. absolutely absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. um what happened after this like the there was no reports even at, at, at the time or even sort of post um the the wall coming down there is literally no Nothing evidence that that in 1961 a manned mission by a female cosmonaut was lost but like i would say it's a it's a fairly compelling and difficult thing to listen to. And yeah. so they've, at, on one end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, I, I would say you've got a native Russian speaker to act something out. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you, you've got something that's true. So, like, these guys are either wonderful fakers and the equivalent of today's sort of YouTube uh, ghost monkeys who make yeah. stuff up on YouTube, or they captured things and there are reasons why the anomalies are there. Yeah. Like, one anomaly I would say is that when spacecraft are re-entering the atmosphere there is an ionization in the air that occurs because of the speed of re-entry. And that usually means, well, it always means that communication between ground control and the re-entering craft is lost just because radio transmissions can't penetrate that. And so what we're getting, we're either hearing somebody who hasn't got to that point yeah, so the flames that she's seeing, we can't necessarily put those down to uh, the heat of re-entry. It could just be, like, because of the... Fire. Yeah, well, it, it could be that the fact that um, perhaps the materials that the craft are made out of yeah. aren't particularly advanced and what she hasn't... The craft hasn't yet got to the point where it's creating an ionization field around it so you, you've got kind of sparks coming off it right. because it's it's sort of bouncing off the uh the hard atmosphere that it's about to crash through and that's what we're hearing but you would expect in that transmission to hear that person disappear into a radio black hole you would expect to hear them go off that's what you get in modern day re-entry from astronauts there's there's no way around it it's just the way that radio signals work and so you kind of put that together with the evidence and you put the the heartbeat of Leica together and 
you're like, oh, I don't know. It's really compelling, and it would have it would have taken quite a lot of effort to fake these things. Yeah. Um, uh, but maybe, maybe, and I think you always you always have to like we always say on this show, you have to follow the money and follow the reasoning and follow the information. And if the stakes are so high with um, the the confrontation between Russia and America. And America clearly has more money. If you were America, you would want to spread disinformation about the Russians, that they were killing people in space, and particularly women, I think, because there is there would probably be a calculated level of sympathy for them, perhaps more than a man. I'm not saying that's correct, but that may be how they were thinking at the time. And so the ability for the CIA to fake that yeah. and pay to Italian sort of amateur radio people yeah. to yeah. publicise that at the time seems very credible. I am in two minds. Every time I listen to it, I because putting this episode together, I've listened to it about four times. And each time I find it harrowing, like the second time I listened to it, it was like I was listening for... Oh, maybe this is just all a trick and I'm supposed to feel this way because the script is very, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Right. And then you're like, oh, this takes a real big actor to do this. This is, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an enigma. And, mm -hmm. and what we will never know because all the, all, everything that we could ever uncover came out from right. um the fallen soviet union union yep. in the early 90s and none of this was ever uncovered so it's either something like a black project that never saw the light of the day and we're listening to the final moments of some poor soul who was part of that or we're listening to a cia uh, remake of something that didn't happen yeah god you know it's like when i heard um where you, I think uh, there, I can't remember the name of the Apollo, one of the early Apollos before space. There was the one that was on the launch pad that there was the big fire. I, I, I've heard control room talk from that, you know, and it, it's incredibly distressing to, to hear that stuff and actually realize the risks that everyone were taking, especially fueled by the uh the race between Russia and America right there were big big stakes to try and get there first as you already said mm. and be the first to Absolutely, do various yeah. bits and pieces and and to be honest on the American one as well that in the early days the Russians were really kind of hitting all the targets while while the US was kind of trying to catch up at points so um yeah those I guess there's lots of conspiracy stuff that could be around that. Of, and I see your point of uh, you could see why some propaganda and some fakery could come in with that clip that we heard just to, to say uh, the Russians haven't got it all together because, you know, America needed to buy some time as well around that period, right? Absolutely. And, and I don't think people realise how close it was the americans despite the amount of money they were putting in the the race 
to get people into space and then to the moon was really, really tight. It was incredibly tight. And if either side is going to be trying to preempt messages, because every day the other side could wake up to their nemesis mm. saying, oh, we've, you know, we've put two people in orbit around the Earth. Yeah. And we're not talking like the the actual ability to do that would have been undisputed. This is sort of like no neither side had it within their ability to make up the fact that you would send somebody uh into orbit because the other side could see it they could yeah, absolutely yeah. see it so there's, there's no point making it up but what you can do is say well the reason you know from america's point of view the, the a good reason that the cia may have asked these italian people to front this uh piece of audio is so that back at home they could say, well, the reason we may have been behind putting somebody into space, if the Russians put it up next week, well, we don't we don't want to kill any of our own. We're not animals like they are. And that would be that would be the talking point and the reasoning for saying that. It's it won't take away from the fact that it happened, but you can then craft an argument to say well, well, the Amer the, the the Russians are animals because they're killing people left, right, and centre, whereas we're not killing people, and that that would be the the argument they would craft. In the end, it turns out they didn't need that argument because they got their people, you know, into space and to the moon, the the fastest, and Yuri Gagarin uh you know didn't die and so it, it, it all sort of you know or all, all's well that ends well but that is the reason i think i'm pretty sure there must have been people in washington in the white house biting their fingers that out of the blue the russians would land on the moon yeah put the flag down and if you can imagine what that would do yeah, for because there's nowhere else to go there is there no at that the, point well, it would make people in America feel like their leadership yeah. had failed. It would make them feel vulnerable because of, you know, we've got that, that Cold War going on and so there's the nuclear threat. They would feel more threatened by that. Whereas if if you can say, well, the Russians got there, but they lost so many people to get there. Being American, that isn't us. We didn't lose anybody and we'll be there next month that is that plays better at home and so it, like i'm not saying any of these things are true i'm just saying these are things that i could imagine might have happened like i think it's absolutely equally true that that could be a real audio recording it's just looking at the evidence and making up your own mind i'm i'm not going to push you as listeners either way i think those are the two ways of looking at it yeah and also you know yeah, and uh, and you've got to think if uh, intelligence agencies are using these radio waves to uh, communicate information across the world to various people, then it's just as it's not a huge leap to go. Oh, on this occasion, we'll use it as disinformation, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Just as I say, just as the Russians did. I mean, yeah. you can also say that um, 
the BBC World Service, I think the, the the Russians and the Chinese would call that disinformation. Yeah, yeah. Even though we obviously don't think that way. Yeah. Voice of America, the same. Yeah. Voice of Free Europe, the same. Voice yeah. of Free Europe was designed to target East Germany and trigger an uprising. Yeah. You know, it it's it's different ways that we've always found of pushing the ideology of one side on the other. And by the way, I'm absolutely, I'm not advocating that communism is the way forward. All I'm saying, I'm talking about the methods that people are using. Like Voice of Free America is an excellent radio station. And uh, it's just, what I'm saying is that it's uh, intended listeners and their rulers may not think so. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think... Yeah, just the fact that these are still out there today, I think that surprises me. I'd kind mm, of heard of yeah. them in a in a in a historical context, but the fact that they're out there today and the um the buzzer especially, that's that's terrifying me. I I feel like it's one of those things I'll get paranoid and have to listen to 24 hours a day. It's gone off air. It's gone off air. Oh, my God. It's gone off air. <laughs> the missiles we're, are incoming. Doomed. I'd quite like to at some point as well. So so weirdly, in a weird coincidence, um, I'd been thinking about uh, doing radio waves from space as an episode. So it's quite interesting you've picked up on this theme. It, it, I think it'd be good to kind of take it to that next level because we've already maybe got partly there. But there is there are some interesting, which I won't go into, but there's some interesting uh, Apollo transmissions that um, have got some weird stuff behind them. And obviously there is various stuff from the arrays that have been picked up over time. Um, yeah. So I think uh, radio waves of some sort is probably a topic we want to return to right yeah no i i I quite agree what what i did there was so much to cover in this i sort of avoided it i think i'll probably come back for a with it for um uh, a fun non-paranormal extra episode in the future but um the number of times that uh british radio stations have been uh temporarily taken over by pirates who sit on their frequency and broadcast uh something that they <laughs> shouldn't be broadcasting all sorts of mischievousness all sorts of mischievous stuff yeah because it's actually quite easy it's much easier to do it with a radio station than it is with a tv station for not only the obvious reasons you can think of but just because of the different powers and the availability of the equipment involved so if if you really wanted to you can um it's probably more difficult well it's definitely more difficult to drown out like a national fm station like your radio ones or something but it's relatively easy to hijack the frequency of like a local commercial station because they tend to operate on lower powers and the equipment because of the number of like pirate stations which pop up all over the uk and have done for years and years it's not too difficult at all um and in fact i read a story about somebody that managed to 
hijacked the frequency of BBC Radio Suffolk using a transmitter uh, which was attached to a, uh, a wire on a kite. And uh, like it was just a mischievous thing right. and probably someone's fun yeah yeah but like it just like i think what this all shows is you've got kind of government actors doing really nuts bizarre things with stations that will give you nightmares you've got people who may or may not be telling the truth about what they've recorded from foreign entities uh, in space and then you've got the other side of things where there is a brilliant brilliant one about um a, a bbc station that was hijacked six times at the top of the hour when they were doing their news by a record called i'm a wanker <laughs> and like that is just somebody having fun it's just like well hats off to them why talk, not talking about that i used to um I used to be a scheduler for a TV station. I won't name, name the one, but um, so I was on the emergency call list if anything um, weird happened. And I got a call from one of the security guys uh, at four in the morning when I was at home. And I was like, answer the phone. I was like, yeah. He said, yeah, um, switchboard's going absolutely crazy. Uh, People are calling to say, why is the channel going out upside down? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I kind, of, I kind of raised myself out of bed and, you know, turned on the TV uh, and went to the channel. And it was, yeah, it was being broadcast upside down. So uh, I phoned the transmission guys. It was a manual, tra- you know, a couple of guys or guys and girls in uh, a control room playing the stuff out. <laughs> And they were just having a laugh. <laughs> they, one of them had dared the other to put the channel out upside down to see what would happen. <laughs> and I'm like, great, I've just been woken up out of bed at four in the All right, we'll put it we'll put it back the right way. <laughs> oh my god. What happened? Like presumably they didn't keep their jobs. I don't I don't know. I don't know. It was uh we we were uh we were at one of the early uh satellite channels so we were very low down the epg epg or there wasn't even an epg then you just had to flick through so everything was a bit looser and we were all quite young um but it was very funny good lord (laughs) good lord i think that would have yeah my my interaction with uh transmission i I think i would have i'd have probably just collapsed in a heap that would have terrified me (laughs) Uh, uh, wow. All right. Well, well, hopefully we will not be playing backwards or upside down next week. We'll, we'll be uh, we'll be back with more paranormal, strange and weird tales, right, Ben? We certainly will. And uh, if you've got a radio that can pick up medium wave or short wave, and I know they're quite rare now, but um, just have a little flick through and see what you can find. And if you find anything good... Do a recording and um, pop that recording into the comments on our social because love to hear it. I think these things are fascinating. And if you don't do that, please tell a friend about our show. Rate and review because yeah. that really helps us. Yeah. And uh, subscribe 
And we'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll see you next time. the quantum mechanics.